Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. We'll get to that in a second. When we talk about cutting things out, that often probably has a, a negative connotation. If you cut someone out of your life, the implication is you're never going to speak to them again, you don't want to see them ever again. That's a, a negative thing. But cutting something out can also be a positive thing. You could be cutting it out because that's the only thing you want, right? Especially little kids in grade school are sometimes told to go cut out a picture of a duck or a picture of this guy or of that thing. And they cut it out so that everything else is gone and only that one thing remains. I might, for example, take a picture and cut out everything except my wife and child and then put it in a frame or do something else with it so that it's really focused just on that one person. Our text this morning calls on us to cut out Jesus, not to remove him from our life, but to remove everything else, to cut around him so that he alone remains as the focus and goal, as the, the joy of our life. We'll take the text uh, verse by verse here. Verse 38. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Right away you see that John has the wrong attitude. That he hasn't cut out Jesus. That he's not focused on Jesus. Jesus is important to him, but it's also important to him his own place. He's not a follower of us, he says. The authority and the importance of the apostles is important to John as well. He's not one of us. He's lost that focus on Jesus, hasn't he? He's concerned about his place. Casting out demons and preaching your name, that's something we're supposed to be doing. This guy's not supposed to be doing it, is basically what he's saying here. Jesus is going to tell him that, no... You need to refocus your attitude. You need to rejoice that he's preaching Jesus' name. It's very easy to slip into this kind of thinking, isn't it? It's easy to begin a church focused on Jesus. We want to preach Jesus. That's why we're here. But then it's easy to slip into thinking of our church and our membership. It's easy to, to switch from thinking about we want to bring people to Jesus to thinking about we want to have more people as our members. It's good to have more members, but that's not what's important. We need to cut out Jesus and remember that he's what's important. He is the preaching of his name is what's important, not how great and mighty our preaching is or our church is. I've heard there's another new church here in Market then. Don't know that much about it, but what should our attitude be that we, as we hear about another church? If we're focused on Jesus, Depending upon, I don't know that much about what they're preaching, but uh, hopefully they're preaching the truth of Jesus' name. And if they're doing that, we rejoice that they're preaching Jesus. But if we slip to that mind thinking of, well, what matters is our church and our membership, then it's easy for Satan to distract us with thoughts of jealousy and envy if they're grown and we're not. What's important is Jesus. Paul tells us this as well. Remember Paul, Philippians 1.18 only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Yes, some of those preachers, Paul saying, they're not doing it for the right reasons, but Jesus' name is being proclaimed, and that's what matters. 
Cut out Jesus so that he remains alone. Verse 39 of our text. But Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. You notice how Jesus brings John back to what's important. What's important isn't your authority as an apostle. What's important is the preaching of my name. This man is preaching Jesus. Not only that, he's casting out demons. Isn't that what we want? Shouldn't that bring us joy in our life? That Jesus' name is being proclaimed, and not only being proclaimed, but the power of Jesus' name is changing people's lives. Not only bringing them salvation, but freeing them from the dominion of Satan, bringing healing to their life. That's what Jesus came to do. That's a wonderful thing. Now we have to understand that there's no indication in this verse, there's no indication that this man was uh, preaching any false teaching. We don't hear about him preaching anything that was contrary to what Jesus preached. And we don't, also, we don't hear Jesus telling the, the, the apostles, oh, you should go and join with him. So we shouldn't look on this text as uh, a discussion of fellowship, who should, we should go and worship with. Oh, no, no, we shouldn't go and worship at that other church. That's true, because we want a church that teaches and preaches the purity of God's word and all of its truth. And there are other passages that talk about fellowship and mark Romans 16, 17, mark those who cause divisions and, and avoid them. But what we're talking about in this verse is what should our attitude be when others are proclaiming the gospel? Should we be jealous of their success? No, we should rejoice that Jesus' name is being proclaimed. Verse 40. For he who is not against us is on our side. This last summer I was... <laughs> attempting to kayak uh, down the Grand River here and made it all the way out past H to that marsh area uh, in stages. But a lot, large parts of that river are covered with trees that have fallen down and lay across the river. So there was many times I had to get out and try and go over and try and drag the kayak over with me or try and go under. There was a couple times when I lost the kayak and it headed downstream without me and I had to run after it. Thankfully there was another tree that stopped the kayak so I could could catch up to it. But it was really, it was really got to be really annoying, really difficult trying to get past all those trees. And so when I got to a stretch of the river where there were no trees covering it, where it was open and I could just paddle quite easily around, well, that was, that was a joy. Those trees that weren't blocking the river, that were where they were supposed to be on the bank, oh, they were my best friends because they weren't getting in my way, right? There are so many that oppose us. There are so many that Satan uses to fight against us. So many that lay themselves across our path trying to distract us, trying to get us to go any other way other than Christ, other than Jesus. Oh, it's a, it's a matter for rejoicing when anyone does so little as just not oppose us. Satan's going to use whoever he can, and that's Jesus' point here. Satan's going to use whoever he can to oppose the preaching of the gospel. Whoever is not actively against us is helping us out by not opposing us is, is a reason to rejoice. We don't need everyone to be one of us. That would be nice if everyone in Mark's aunt came to our church. That would be great. That would be nice. We don't need everyone to be one of us, but we do want everyone to be one of Jesus's. So again, we, we cut out, we stay focused on what's important, Jesus and his salvation. Jesus continues in the same way in verse 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. 
Jesus here is arguing from the, from the lesser to the greater, isn't he? He's saying, if someone does so little to help out the preaching of the gospel as give a, a cup of water to those who proclaim my name, that person will by no means lose his reward. This actually happened to my brother and I. We were handing out flowers and... Flowers, sorry. We're handing out flyers. Yes, flyers. I, I think it was in Atlanta, Georgia, we were handing it out. I remember it was very, very hot, and it was someplace down south. And we were handing out flyers, and one of the men who came to the door, he, you know, he stopped to talk to us for a little bit. And he wasn't going to come to the church. He had his own church, and he wasn't going to send his kids to our VBS. But he did uh, say how much he appreciated that we were out talking to people about Jesus. And he gave both of us a, a nice can of cold Coke from the fridge. It was very helpful <laughs> in, that, in that hot summer day. He didn't do it because we were so cute, right? We weren't kids at the time anyway. He did it because he appreciated the preaching of Jesus. He did it for Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, if someone who does that, who does so little as to give a glass of water, in this case a, a can of cold coke, uh, for the sake of Jesus, for the preaching of his name, is not going to lose his reward as Jesus is, how much more so, Jesus' point is, somebody who does even more to help the preaching, like the man at the beginning of our text, who wasn't just helping by giving water, but was actually helping to proclaim Jesus' name. Yes, it was the task of the apostles to preach Jesus' name and to cast out demons, and that's exactly why they should have been even more joyful when here comes another man to help them out, to preach Jesus' name and to cast out demons. If, if just helping with a glass of water, how much more if that man had not just given us a Coke, but had volunteered to come with us and help pass out the flyers? Well, that would have been that would have been even great. We could have gotten out of the sun a little sooner. We appreciate the coke, but if they do even more, that's even more of a reason to rejoice. The important point is Jesus' name is being preached and proclaimed. In the next verse, however, Jesus gets into the other side of the issue. If Jesus' name is being proclaimed, we don't want to stop it, we don't want to forbid it, we want to rejoice in it, but are there times when we do need to oppose uh, what other people are preaching and saying? And that's what we're going to hear in the next verse. There certainly are such times. Verse 42, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Again, we, we learn to cut out Jesus and focus on him, and then we understand the difference. The difference isn't we get angry and upset about those who oppose us, but the difference is when they oppose Jesus. The man at the beginning of our text was preaching Jesus' name, and we have no indication that he was preaching anything wrong or false, but now Jesus says there are those who are cause offense, cause these little ones to stumble. That word uh, that's translated stumble here sometimes is translated offense. That doesn't mean that you stub your toe or that you trip and scrape your knee. It means you fall to your death. This refers to a trap uh, that a hunter would lay for an animal. And the trap, either the trap would kill the animal or the trap would hold the animal until the hunter could come and kill him. Either way, the purpose of the trap is death. Nowadays, of course, we have uh, traps that don't actually kill the animal and people come along and just relocate them, but I don't think that was a thing in Jesus' day. And it certainly isn't what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a death trap. There are those whose preaching is a death trap to Jesus' children, to Jesus' sheep, leading them away from Jesus, leading them away from that message that we talked about last week of the Son of Man who must die 
for our sins and rise again. What is it that causes such death traps? Well, it's any preaching, any teaching. This is what we talked about last Sunday, right? It's any preaching, any teaching which denies the vicarious atonement that Jesus took our place, that he suffered for our sins, that he died, that he rose again, and because of him, we get to go to heaven. Anything which denies that we are sinners who need Jesus, that would be a death trap, getting us to think that we're good enough in and of ourselves, right? Anything that denies that Jesus died, anything that adds to Jesus' work, all of that would be a death trap, would be this stumbling that Jesus is talking about here. And that absolutely must be opposed. There are some trees that are on the side of the river. There are some people who help us out, but there are definitely some lying right across our path that uh, ought to be opposed. Paul remind, Peter reminds us in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is God's gift to us. And anything that denies that, that salvation is freely given to us because of Jesus' death is a death trap to Jesus' disciples. This is the same attitude that Paul shows in his writings by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? Because he talks about rejoicing in the preaching of the gospel. We already read that verse from Philippians 1.18. He rejoices whenever Jesus' name is preached, even if the motives of the preacher aren't perfect or pure even if they're doing it simply for earthly money, for earthly gain, he still rejoices that Jesus is being preached. But on the other hand, in Galatians 1, 8 to 9, he vehemently opposes anything which is that, that death trap, anything that is opposed to the name of Jesus. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. It's all about Jesus. Isn't it? It's all about cutting out Jesus so that he alone remains and his gift of salvation. That which proclaims that beautiful gospel that we are sinners and Jesus died for our sins, that is something to rejoice in. But that which opposes that beautiful gospel, which teaches work righteousness or teaches that, well, God loves everyone, it doesn't matter, is something to be opposed. Something to better if such a person were thrown into the sea, Jesus says. Now he continues, and we'll take verses 43 to 48 together. He continues with this, uh, the same idea of cutting off that which opposes Christ in these verses. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. With these words, Jesus is not teaching us to maim ourselves by cutting off our foot or our hand. Notice he says, if your foot causes you to sin, it would be better to cut it off. But we know that it's not the foot that causes sin. It's not the hand that causes sin. It's not the eye that causes sin. 
What causes sin is the heart and the desires of the heart. As Jesus himself says in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Sin is a matter of the heart and the desires of the heart. Cutting off our hand, cutting off our foot, cutting out our eye isn't going to save us from sinning. But Jesus' point here, again, is an argument from the lesser to the greater. His point here is, would it not be better to cut off your foot and enter into heaven with only one foot than to enter hell with two feet? And the answer is, yes, of course, it would be better to lose a foot rather than to go into eternal damnation. If it's better to lose a foot, how much more so ought we to cut out from our lives that which distracts us from the truth of Jesus. Cut out Jesus so that he alone remains. Get rid of that which might cause that offense, that stumbling that Jesus was talking about in the last verse. If it's better to go to the extreme of even to cut off your hand, if such a thing would help, it's not going to help. But if that were to be better, how much more so is it better to cut out Jesus alone and remove that which is an offense? This is what many of our ancestors did, isn't it? Many of our great-grandparents or whatever generation it was uh, that came from Germany. And many of them came because the German government at that time was trying to force the churches who, were, who, who knew the truth of the gospel and rejoiced in the gospel to join together with the liberals and the pietists. The liberals who denied Jesus by saying that, well, God loves everyone. Uh, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, denying the miracles, uh, denying the, the truth of sin. And therefore, they were an offense, a death trap, uh, because they denied the, not only the truth of who Jesus is, but the truth of, of what sinners we are and how much we need Jesus. And on the, on the other hand, you had the pietists who insisted that what was important was our works and how well we serve Jesus in our life in doing good works. And so we're once again a death trap, leading people away from that truth of salvation in Christ alone to rely on their works. And so many of our ancestors cut out Jesus. They removed from their life that which was an offense. They came over to America where they could worship in the truth and purity of God's word. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10.5 Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. Cutting out everything but leaving Christ alone. Opposing anything which opposes Christ. Not getting angry or envious because people oppose us, but opposing that which opposes Christ. We continue verses 49 and 50. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. Uh, salt in Jesus' day didn't come in nice, neat bags and salt shakers like it does these days where it's just pure salt and you can shake it on whatever and season it nicely. It came in big lumps which not only had salt in them but often had other minerals, other soil in it as well. And so it was possible that you took a, a lump of salt, it was salt and other things mixed together, and if you left it outside where it rained or if you left it someplace where it got wet, then the salt would dissolve and wash away and the lump of salt wouldn't actually have any salt in it anymore. This is the picture that Jesus is using here. You are the salt of the world, he says to his apostles. They were the ones that walked with Jesus, who knew the truth of who he was. They were the ones that were called to preach and proclaim his word. It's that word, that truth, that made them the salt of the world. 
And Jesus says, you are the salt. You have the ability to season others with that truth. But beware, lest you yourself lose that salt. What, what, who's going to salt you? Who's going to season you if you, the ones called to be the salt of the world, lose the saltiness? What's going to happen then? So Jesus is teaching his disciples here, you know, don't, you don't need to oppose that man that was preaching my name and casting out demons. You need to season him. You need to share your truth with him so that he becomes an even better preacher. But you do need to beware to watch out for that which offends, which might cause you to lose your salt and distract you. Jude 1, and 23 reminds us of the same thing. He says, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And so Jude reminds us that, oh, we are to season others with the truth of God's word. We are to focus on Jesus and rejoice in that preaching of the gospel, but beware lest that which is a death trap, that which offends, which is that death trap, uh, ensnares us as well. Many years ago now, I heard about a church in Canada that thought, well, we'll go have services in a strip club. See, there are sinners there that need to be saved. Well, yeah, there are sinners there that need to be saved, well, that's a good example of, losing, of one way to lose your salt very quickly, isn't it? To get down into the sin with the sinner instead of, as Jude reminds us, carefully pulling them out into God's grace. Those sinners were forgiven through Christ. They were saved through Christ's blood if they repented and rejoiced in Jesus' name. But we don't want to join them in their sin. We don't want to lose our salt in an attempt to uh, share God's word with them. We want to season them and remain in God's word and in God's truth ourselves as well. It's all about Jesus. And once again, we know that <laughs> the ability to do this is not within ourselves. We can't look to ourselves to remain salty. <laughs> Usually that word salty has a, has a different connotation, but in, in scripture here it means remain in the truth and preaching Jesus' name, right? We can't uh, trust in ourselves, in our own power to remain salty but we look to Jesus once again, even as Jude continues in Jude 1, 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. There's that death trap again. Jesus is able to keep us from losing our saltiness, from stumbling into those death traps. He is able to keep us with that focus on him alone. And so once again, it's all about Jesus. We cut out Jesus and focus on him. To learn how to always rejoice in the preaching of the gospel, in the preaching of Jesus' death and, re and resurrection, and at the same time oppose that which ca might cause us to stumble, which might lead to death, that indeed is wisdom from above, the power of Christ active in our life, for our salvation comes from Christ alone. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Jesus.